Welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people who do amazing things. And today I have my friend, explorer, mother, influencer, mental health advocate. And I know you don't like that name. But, no, it's but, fine. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming to the podcast today. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so um, there are kind of so many layers to you. But what people don't know is that you actually are a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm gonna start with that. Like, okay, so why did you decide to become a lawyer, and then why did you switch to doing all these things you're doing now? Sure. Yeah. So I actually I always wanted to be a lawyer. I think I just liked, you know, having to find the answer to a problem, and every day is really different as a lawyer, and so that really was appealing to me. I actually thought I would be interested in like trial law, which is you know Going the court the, stuff. Yeah. But uh, that turned out to be extremely boring. <laughs> boring? So it's... So, like, the thing is that we see on TV is fake. I mean, obviously it's fake, but, like, isn't, you know... It's similar, but the, the issue is not that part. That part is exciting, but most things settle. Like, oh. only if things go really not well do they end up in court. Okay. So, for the big performance of being in the courtroom... You know, that's going to cost your client a lot of money and you're trying to avoid that. Right. So most of the time your goal is to settle. So like I, as a as an articling student, first I came as a summer student and then a second year student and then a third year student. I worked on the same file wow. like a couple summers in a row. And I was like, I don't know, <laughs> I have the attention span to be talking about someone's injury that I was talking about last year. Right. So, but... That said, like the law is a really, really interesting profession, I think. Mm -hmm. And the only real reason I left it is because um, I have like a really bad shoulder shoulder injury that happened just before law school. And it it really limited what I could do as far as long hours go. Oh. And that is the one thing about being a lawyer is you do need to commit to long hours. Um, so it really kind of took over my life once I once my shoulder injury happened. Yeah. So I just had to reevaluate. But being a lawyer is what I always wanted to be since I was a kid. Why though? Um, well my dad's a lawyer, uh, my grandfather's a lawyer, uh, my uncles, my, <laughs> my aunt, my cousins, like there's right. quite a crew of us, so it was a natural fit. So, you know, are there other things people don't know you are bilingual and when you were studying law, we also like gonna like do French and, and I don't know what they call French law, but you know like yeah, so I actually, so my undergrad's in business, but in New Brunswick, where I went to university, you can do a major in French because it's a bilingual uh, province. So I chose to do a business degree with a major in French. Oh, wow. So I did that to give the option of practicing in French. And I actually looked at going to U to M, which is Universi Université de Moncton, for my law degree um, or McGill. But then in the end, I decided to stick with UNB. I'm... I have two degrees from UNB. I loved my undergrad. I went on to UNB Law School. Again, my grandfather went there. My my parent, my dad went there. So <laughs> yeah, just keeping the name going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Will your kids go there? They'll have the choice <laughs> of where they want to go. 
but I'll tell them how much fun that I had at UNB. Like, right. Talking of UNB, you also do this thing, like, I don't, is, it, is it the board? I don't know what it's called, but like as part of, you know, you're a student there and then you're kind of like supporting the school in some way. Yes, I'm actually on the UNB Alumni Council. Uh, alumni Council, that's yes. it. I forgot name, thanks. And I feel like I told you about this because part of what I do on that is help choose uh, the awards for um, a certain scholarships that they give out as well as outstanding alumni. And it's the most amazing thing. Every time I do it, basically for the outstanding alumni, um, people will nominate someone else that they think is doing amazing work in the community or otherwise in their profession. Uh, and every time I read these applications, I think I feel so inspired and also what the heck am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a real double-edged sword. Right, right. But it is so amazing. Like it really just amps me up to mm. see all the good work that people are doing. Yeah. And, and then to have the chance to meet these nominees, you know, the ones that are selected, we have a dinner. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, and the, the students who get the alumni scholarships are just completely outstanding. Like their grades are impeccable. The volunteer work that they're doing is great. You know, they're a lot of the times they're also athletes and it's just amazing. I love seeing it. No, I find that scholarship is a good feel because you know how much it costs. And like this part of it is like, I cannot afford to mess it up. So, so it just like kind of pushes you, but also if you are selected for a scholarship, then you're already one of those kids that was already burning the midnight oil anyway. Yeah, you know, it's been really good. Um, one of the things that I've done on both of the committees is kind of said, all right, there's no official selection process for um, whether they've overcome an obstacle, but we do try to keep that in mind. So there's, we've now added a column to when people are, you know, putting their grades and things, have they overcome some sort of obstacle? Because if I do, you know, if I come from like the perfect home with no obstacles in my life, and then someone else has, you know, maybe like come here as a refugee and has no family support, and we do the exact same thing, mm. well, the person who had to overcome so many more obstacles should be the person who comes out on top mm -hmm. um, as far as, you know, getting the award. So we try to make that something that has come into, you know, the award process mm. just to, you know, equal isn't always fair, I guess. <laughs> so. I agree. Okay, so you do all that. Um, that the, but the thing that most people, at least in the city, know you for is for your social media. So how did this whole, I'm going to school and I'm doing this, like, these are like two different people. What is the bridge between Sarah the lawyer and Sarah this awesome influencer? Like, what is the bridge and what led to that um, decision to do what you're doing now? So for me... It seems like they're completely different worlds, but to me, they're very similar. Huh. In okay. the sense that being a lawyer is very much telling a story. Like that is a skill that you learn from law school, from being a lawyer. Your whole goal is to be compelling because you need to tell the story of your client better in a way than the, the other opposing counsel, right? Mm -hmm. So going from being a lawyer to being, you know, 
in the content creation space is not quite as much of a leap as people think because I like to tell a story. Some people are really good at, you know, the the visual part, uh, but I like I like the captions. I'm mm. all about, you know, telling a little story under the captions and I think a lot of people follow me either for the caption or for, you know, in the story part of Instagram when I'm just like, guys, I got to tell you something that happened to me and then I can tell a story. So that's part of it. Um, the other part is that I lived in Calgary for 11 years. And when we were out there, um, I was involved in oil and gas and had a great job that I loved. I was making lots of money as you do in oil and gas. Mm -hmm. But it was far from our family. You know, we were 11 years away. I have two kids. Um, my husband's from PEI. I'm from New Brunswick. And we wanted to get closer to family. So we moved back to Halifax. And um, then I just started really doubling down on Instagram because I really wanted my Calgary friends to come visit Nova Scotia. Ooh. And then people started saying like, oh, are you a blogger now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> it just sort of was a natural fit. Yeah. And the other thing it did is it really connected me more to Halifax. Mm. I've met so many people through Instagram that I never would have met. I had a couple of friends you know, from back in New Brunswick or from law school. <clears throat> my best friend is here and my sister is here, which is great. Um, but, you know, like you need more than two friends, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so that was the reason why I kind of went all in with the uh, Instagram life. Yeah, I know you're right. Because when you put it like that, it actually makes sense. Because the reason I watch like, you know, all the law films, it, it's 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 always that final what are the, the thing the last thing they say before the jury like the like the closing argument. yeah 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 that thing you know I'm like this that's like storytelling 101 you know yeah. you're taking this so yeah you you don't think about that but you're right because whenever you watch any law like it's a court he's like okay the closing argument is gonna be freaking amazing <laughs> I'm just gonna wait for that and that's when the magic happens but when you're watching the film, that closing argument just takes everything you've seen and puts it in this like 10, 15 minutes or whatever. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So it makes sense. Well, and it makes sense why your um, social media is so compelling because you're just using all these things you've learned over the years and something you love. But what do you love about storytelling though? I think it's the ability to evoke some sort of emotion. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I think it can be a tool to also move, <laughs> I don't want to say move your agenda forward, but kind of, right? Like I can tell a story from the first person about something that I experienced, but my hope is that my experience will compel someone else to, you know, do something about what happened to me. Mm. So whatever that might be. So one of the things that I've talked about, you mentioned mental health, like one thing that I have talked about is ADHD. Another thing is, you know, how I had to go to therapy to get some help with raising my daughter. And those things for me, um, you know, I share them from a place of vulnerability, a little bit of vulnerability, because I'm hoping that... A lot of, are you kidding me? A lot of, I'm like, I never say that. I would never say that. But yeah, okay. Yeah. So I do that in the hopes that some people might hear it and think, oh, I can relate to that. Mm. Maybe that's something that I should look into. And my hope is that if they do, that will help them. Mm. Mm. So it's always just kind of about, you know, if I can empower someone 
to make a decision that I think is a good decision. Dope, dope. Yeah, no, that's that is really. Oh, oh. Before we came on, uh, we we're talking about the climate and stuff, and we had the fires, and then you yeah. actually had to move because it was so close to your beautiful home um and now the the floor too so so like you know yeah one of the things that we talked about was how even though you do all this cool i don't know what they call it but you know the things you do when you're like changing clothes and stuff yeah, you yeah. do one for the barbie thing too <laughs> uh but but he's like the even that with that you're making conscious decisions about where you shop and stuff because you think of the environment and stuff why is that important to you and what do you do when it comes to all this like making sure the clothes you get are ethical so for me um everything is you know a learning slope and you know full disclosure I, i live in a big house and i drive an suv so <laughs> I, I got a long way to go to right. be like a, a better citizen of the world right. but uh, but in saying that my suv is actually more you know it's better on gas than my last vehicle so we're always trying to make improvements in our lives mm -hmm. but for me it was actually an education that happened kind of by accident when i moved here because when i came from calgary i'm not going to lie i was i was like a first class consumer you oil know? and gas right yeah i was in oil and gas right i like money was you know i'm I, it's not like we were loaded or anything but it wasn't a problem you mm. know like i was just like oh that looks nice so maybe i'll get it you know because i don't have five yeah i'm not like running i don't own like expensive name brand purses or anything like that so within what i like i was able to get it and I never really thought much about it. And when I moved here, it was partly that we didn't have the same stores available to us here. Mm -hmm. And someone introduced me to, my friend Anne-Marie took me to East of Montreal, which is a local consignment shop that's been around for a number of years here. And um, through that process, I just ended up getting educated about um, you know, what kind of impact the fashion industry is having on the environment. Mm. And I had just basically turned a blind eye to that my entire life. I, I honestly didn't care. And it's in part because I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's actually something that was an accidental education, as I'll call it. I started shopping at the hospice shop when they opened up. Uh, and I love doing that as well, as you know. And then it also became about, you know, just educating myself about shopping at local businesses. And that's easy for me because I really enjoy knowing the person I'm buying from. Like, mm. I want to know the manager of the store. I want to go walk into a store, you know, when I walk into the hospice shop, there's even been a change in management since I started shopping there a few years ago. She's still like, Sarah, you know, so good to see you. I love shopping where, you know, I'm also not just a a face you know like they i'm a name mm. and they're a name to me and they're you know when they make money in their community then it stays in our community and it's good for everyone mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh. anyway like you said there's a learning curve so um getting better every day with every little thing you do uh let's talk about the mental health thing and how you say little vulnerability mm -hmm. like the things you share like i mean i get it because you know that i usually say there's at least one person that's going to read that caption or listen to you sharing something it's gonna be like oh yeah it makes sense i feel like that or, or i know someone that feels like that or it's something i can relate to 
But how did he get there, though? Because, you know, it's not like you just start one day. I'm like, okay, I'm going to put the camera in my face and just tell the world this is what is going on. Especially, like, seeing that you got um, diagnosed for ADHD, like, now, you know? And so, actually leads me to how did you even study law with, like, your brain doing that? Yeah, I, I think I was pretty lucky because um, most of the time when someone explains something to me, and I think this is actually something that is probably something that a lot of ADHD people have, but I'm saying this just not as an expert, just as someone who has it. Um, if you're lucky, you understand it the first time. And so all the other times that are explained after that, even if I'm not paying attention, which I'm generally not, it's okay because I can survive on that first so, explanation. Yeah. Um, and you know, law school was a struggle for me. Like it was, it wasn't like, you know, breezing through with great grades. You know, I, I rode that bell curve all the way to my graduation, <laughs> you know, lots of B minuses. <laughs> so it, it was just still a good grade, but you know, it's, it wasn't like I was like an A plus student or anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it was still, it was still challenging, but, but possible to do with ADHD. It's interesting because um, when someone first suggested about 10 years ago that they thought it might have it, it was a friend of mine who is a psychologist. And at the time, I remember feeling a little bit defensive about it and almost like insulted about it. Mm. And I, w I went home and did some reading about it and realized that I probably had it. Mm. But I wasn't ready to do anything about it yet. I wasn't ready to kind of like, I just was like, well, well, it's not really affecting my life. I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew that I was me. Mm -hmm. So I just carried on with my life. And it wasn't until very recently that I actually got the diagnosis and am now dealing with my daughter's diagnosis as well. Um, but... I think one of the biggest gifts that my parents have given me in life is that there's no shame, really. Like, you are who you are, and you can just own it. And I think a lot of times I'll share something, and people will say, that was so vulnerable of you. But a lot of times, I don't feel vulnerable. Like, vulnerability is about how you feel, right? Mm. And if I'm not feeling any shame about something then it's not really that vulnerable for me to share it. And if I think it, it was a bit vulnerable when I was sharing about my daughter because it was hard for me to admit that I, I wasn't as good of a parent as I thought it would naturally be. Mm. And I think that is something that is hard for a lot of parents. Like you just, you know, I was a great babysitter and most people like me and everyone's like, oh, you're so naturally nurturing. And then I have a kid and I'm like, this is not going well. <laughs> like, this is not what I thought this would look like. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was vulnerable to share that. The fact that I just like couldn't really do a good job mm. without getting some professional help to parent my child. Um, but then I thought, like, I bet I'm not alone. I bet I'm not the only one. Um, so I did decide to start sharing that. And that was actually the first time I shared about that. I did a video where I was, it was, I was visibly upset. I wasn't crying, but it was obvious that I wasn't, like, my usual sunshiny self. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it did much better than a lot of my other posts. People shared it because they related to it. And I thought like, you know, that's okay. It's okay to just be like, I, I'm naturally sunshiny most of the time, mm. but it's okay if I'm not sometimes, you know, that's just part of life. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, going on that, one of the, one of the stories was actually when you said they changed your notice when you started taking medication. Yes. That, yeah. that was also one, one of those stories that really stood out for me. Um, I guess, what was the... What was that pushback from taking medication? And then what was that change you noticed once you were like, okay, I'm doing this now? Yeah, I think just for a long time, I figured I was fine. So it didn't really matter, especially once we moved from... So we moved to Halifax in 2017. And when we moved here, I like I had to quit my job when we moved. And then I just kind of was doing my own thing for a while, wasn't working at all. Now, um, as you know, I'm a translator, but I also just manage my own schedule with that. And people just hire me ad hoc. I'm basically a contractor for that. So for a long time, I was like, you know, my life is totally manageable. But then I started noticing that you know, I was always behind in the laundry. Like I, it would often be seven o'clock and I have two young kids and I still didn't know what was for supper. Um, and I am sort of the main, Dana helps, my, my spouse helps with dinner and things like that, but he works full time and I work part time. So technically it's my job to at least figure out what we're gonna have for supper and then he'll help me cook it. Mm. And I'll be like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. It's a problem that just like won't go away mm. and I know it won't go away, but still, you know, I just wouldn't do it. So I decided to see if life was different with medication mm. and I was shocked. I was actually really shocked um, to, to learn how much my brain had been more or less getting in my own way mm. without me realizing it. So just simple things like if you said to me, like, hey, can you um, can you be here at noon on Saturday? I'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. And my ADHD brain would say, like, okay, noon on Saturday, I'll remember that. And then I won't write it in the calendar. And then there's, like, a 60% chance that I'll forget. Mm. And why my ADHD brain wouldn't just open up my phone and put it in the calendar, I have no idea. But my brain on meds is like, yeah, I probably won't remember that unless I write in my calendar. So I'm just gonna take the two seconds, write it in my calendar, and now I'm a more organized human. Mm. And I couldn't, I just couldn't get there without the medication. So they seem like very insignificant changes, but the cumulative effect has been significant for me. If you lean even quarter of an inch, but you do that every day for 20 years, you're gonna be on the ground, so. Just a tiny little bit adds up. Okay, Absolutely. so let's 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 uh, talk about like the Barbie things. I have like a video background, so in my mind, every time I'm walking, watching one of those videos, I'm like, that's so much work. <laughs> that's so much work, right? And like, I'm lazy. I always have like people behind me doing all the things. <laughs> so I have that, and I'm like, you're doing it yourself. So like you have to decide what you're gonna wear, you're gonna decide the order you're gonna wear it. You actually have to put it on, shoot it, take it off, put on, like how do you plan all that? And how do you even 
like, does he ever get like, fuck it, I'm not doing this anymore? <laughs> occasionally, <laughs> occasionally. You know, I think when it comes to content creation, mm. there are some people who are just killing it. They got lots, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. They're making lots of money at it. The rest of us are not. <laughs> so you don't do it unless you love it. Right. So usually it's filling some other, you know, role in your life. So for me, it's like a creative outlet. Mm. So I do it because I love it. Um, I always tell myself when I stop loving it, I'm going to stop doing it uh. because I could basically like get a job at Tim Hortons part time and <laughs> probably make the same money that I make in a year on social media, mm. which isn't great. But, you know, every once in a while I get a really good contract. You know, you get a client who understands that what I do for them is actually translating into sales. Mm -hmm. It's just hard when your numbers are small. You really have to have a client who understands that you don't need to have the biggest audience. You just need to have the right audience. Yes, yes. You know, I, I tell people, like, whenever I work with a client or whatever, I'm like, you know, you can get that person that has hundreds of thousands, or you can get a person that just has people that are really engaged, right? Because, you know, the 100,000 people, sure, they'll follow them, and then every couple of photos someone will like versus... Someone will be like, hey, I'm doing this thing. And everyone's like, okay, I'm tuning in to check out what this person is doing. Because especially in your case, like you're sharing so much and it's something that people that follow you relate with. So yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I generally say like if you are looking for brand recognition and trying to reach a lot of people for that, then the big followers or the big influencers with big followings are kind of where you want to be for something like that because mm. they just hit a lot of people all at once. Mm -hmm. But if you are looking for someone to get out of their seat and drive to your store and buy something, mm. then look at me because, you know, I can actually, I've actually been like, here's a $300 secondhand dress. That's a lot of money for a secondhand dress. Mm. I literally tried it on one day, put it in my stories, three hours later, one of my followers texted me and said, I just drove to the store, bought the dress, like <laughs> sent you a picture. I was like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, that is an actual decision maker. Mm. And so there are some businesses in town who really understand that and get that. And then others don't. But as far as the work part goes, it is a lot of work. Yes. Yes. Um, but it's also, it's fun. It's fun work. So I like it. And so for the Barbie thing, I just did that because I was like, you know what? Look at my wardrobe. Have, <laughs> this is almost weird because I basically didn't realize that I dress kind of like a Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm not, I can do like a full Barbie routine yep. with yep. just stuff in my closet. Right, right, right. So I did that. And the irony is if, if you read that caption, <laughs> I actually didn't ever play with Barbies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, and yes, I yes, 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 Barbies yes. for my daughter, which is also ironic because I, I basically was like, you know, this is a uniform body. You know me, I'm, I'm not into uniform bodies. Like we all have our own bodies. Mm. We all have our own skin color. We all have our own hair. Mm. You know, we just, but we're not all like six foot skinny girl. Nobody looks like a Barbie basically. Mm. Um, and so I said, I don't really want to encourage that. So my daughter had, you know, a couple Barbies that she was given and that was kind of it. But now she basically looks like a Barbie. So <laughs> it wouldn't have really affected her life, but it was just the principle. Right, right. But I am very into the Barbie movie. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I haven't seen it yet, but um, everyone has seen it has been like, you need to see it, you need to see it. So I guess I'll see it. And I do have pink, so I'll be fine. Um, okay, okay, okay. It's always great talking to you, but like, I know you have a lot on the go. Um, so I'm going to let you go with this question, though. With all these things you do and how much of yourself you share, how do you actually take care of yourself? Um, I'm really lucky that because I am a contractor and, you know, my translations um, kind of come in the door and then I can manage my own schedule. Mm. The main thing that I do is when I drop the kids off at school, which is <laughs> summer aside, um, I try to get out in the mornings for a walk in the woods. It's mm -hmm. it's really my personal piece. Mm -hmm. um, I've been able to stay in pretty good shape just from doing that. You know, I, I because my old shoulder injury, I got a couple rubber bands that I use for my arms. But uh, otherwise, that's kind of one of my main thing. I also am a soccer player. I play on a soccer team and the girls are very encouraging. It's a, an over 35 league and it's a lot of fun. And so those are the ways I, I feel like it's a real privilege in my life that I am well set up to be able to take care of myself. So mm -hmm. even though I always have a lot on the go, I, I usually am able to come at it from a good place. So. Nice. Oh man, we have to do this again, Sarah. <laughs> Thank I always you. enjoy talking to you. <laughs> thank you so much. I for was coming. so happy when you asked me to come on your uh, show. And I mean, thank you so much. We have to do this again. I'd love to.